Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Jill Renee Feeler. I'm so glad that you're here today and uh, checking this out. I always intend for something that we offer to be new and fresh or maybe reassuring or maybe it's confirmation of something that you've thought about before. But either way, I'm intending for this to, to make the world a better place. That's a big task, right? But I can, but we can try, <laughs> right? I'm idealistic enough to, to think we can make a difference. <laughs> Anyway, before we get started here, let's just do a brief connecting exercise. Let's take some nice deep breaths and I'll encourage you to feel yourself um, beyond your brain. Okay, so let's just uh, relax your shoulders, wiggle your fingers a little bit, wiggle your toes a little bit as you take some nice deep breaths here. And just feel your body get heavy. Notice your mind and notice your thoughts and recognize that there's more going on within you. You have more grasp than just what you're thinking. Okay, good job. Samson, please don't lick. Good boy. Okay. All right. Okay. And I would like you to imagine that there is if your eyes are closed, a source of light behind your eyes. So a nice deep breath. And then just imagining that with your eyes closed, that there's a light within you. Notice I said imagine. (laughs) So if you can't see any light with your eyes closed, that's okay. Um, We're imagining that the light is there because there is much more going on beyond your five human senses. Okay, good job. Nice. Okay. We'd also like you to imagine that within your belly, there is a sort of like a ball of energy. It's not a ball that creates tension or dis-ease of any kind. It's just a field of consciousness. And it relates to your gut instinct and curiosities that you have and uh, things that you that you know and things that you think you know. And um, we're just giving that ball of gut instinct more openness and more space to consider new truths, to consider new ideas and fresh perspectives to potentially help you be an even more amazing, productive, successful, joyful, happy, um, or even just effective uh, version of yourself in this reality. Okay. Uh, All right. All right. Again, wiggle those fingers, wiggle those toes. Good job. I'm going to get a sip of water here because my throat is still tickling. Okay, so for those that are new here, what do we do? Um, I always like to kind of play with how I describe it. We are going beyond the five human senses of of humanity. And I learned uh, about 10 years ago that I'm really good at this and I didn't know that I was good at this. Um, so what I'll be sharing with you today is nothing I've rehearsed. It's nothing I've researched. I'm not, you know, parroting back information that I have notes on in front of me. I have no notes. I have no no script, and I have an idea of a topic, but that's it. Um, this is my way of sort of allowing my brain to recognize that it's um, not. We're not going to teach something that we have, you know, received from this world. We're going into um, 
an unexplored state of consciousness that I have access to and I'll be offering what I get <laughs> from that connection. And so far so good. This process seems to work well and people seem to like it. I love what comes through. And um, anyway, so here we go. <laughs> Alrighty. <sighs> okay. <laughs> we are totally going to do that. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk today about the, the nature and the, let's say, structure of thoughts. And it, we may delve into the realm of meditation as it relates to um, attuning the human body and your human experience to be more friendly, let's say, um, more complementary to the, the human brain and the, the thought experiencing process. Okay. And I, I'm, I feel like I'm being put on notice as Jill, that there will be things that we talk about today that, that may surprise me. And I like to be surprised. So I'm kind of excited too. <laughs> okay. So the nature of thoughts. Yeah, start. <laughs> my team just said, start with your context of the how this all came about for you. Okay, um, because many have not heard it. So, I'm um, I'm a very thinky <laughs> type of person, um, and prior to my knowing myself in this way as Jill, I was I would probably describe myself as completely in my head. Um, I wasn't unhappy. Um, I wasn't miserable. I had a, I had a great life and I liked my Jill. Um, but I would definitely get unnecessarily anxious and stressed out. Um, and I would overthink things and I, I, I still have a bit of the overthinking part, but it, it, maybe it's one of my strengths, who knows? Um, but I remember the moment, um, when I was starting to be aware of, um, of the more the esoteric, uh, nature of, of thoughts and energy and, and our reality here and things like that. So I was more open to, um, sort of this supernatural, I guess, in a way. Um, and I was sitting in our house at the time, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Georgia was, she would have been, let's see, she's 14 now. She would have been four, three or four at the time. Um, probably three. And she was sitting on my lap and I was, she was eating her cereal. No one else was home. Um, or maybe my other daughter was asleep. Anyway, the house was quiet. No news was on. I was not on my phone. I was just sitting there thinking. <laughs> and she's sitting on my lap. And she said, she said, she kind of leaned back into me because she was on my lap. And she said, are you on your phone? And I said, I go, no, I'm not on my phone. And, and she kind of looked back at me and she said, well, why did you say Obama? And at that time, um, if I have the dates correct, Obama wasn't a household word. He, it was still, uh, Hillary Clinton at the time was still the, the strongest running mate to get the Dem Democratic nomination for US presidency at that time. Um, so Obama wasn't like a household word, like obviously it is now. Um, so even her knowing the word Obama, um, was kind of odd, but I was just, I was freaked out because I was thinking about Obama and I was thinking about the democratic debate the night before, um, and a conversation I expected to have with some of my coworkers when I was working at Memjet, um, 
home and office, <laughs> a printing technology company. I did strategic planning and financial analysis and strategic analysis for them at the time. And I was thinking about a conversation with some of my friends about Obama. So I'm thinking it, I'm not saying it. I don't think Georgia had ever heard the word Obama. So literally she's reading my mind and I'm sitting there just going, oh my God, like shit, <laughs> you know, like she's reading my, and my mind was just all over the place at the recognition. So then I kind of, as, as a curious person would do, I wanted to sort of test it out. Is she really reading my mind? Um, so amidst the panic a bit of, oh my God, <laughs> my daughter can read my mind and what does that mean? Um, to let's, it, is this real? So I thought in my mind, Georgia, I love you so much. And I didn't say it, I just thought it, just like I was thinking Obama. And she leaned into me like a hug, as if to say, I love you back. So she clearly in my in my I can't prove it. But to me, she responded as if she was reading my mind. And that was the validation I needed. And then it was like, holy crap, you know, because then, you know, I'm sort of reeling with the idea that what else am I thinking? And do I want her or my other daughter to be able to to know what I'm thinking? And do am I are my thoughts nice enough <laughs> about everything? Where am I messing them up by them being able to basically telepathically um, pick up on what I'm thinking? Because I'm a stressed out person. Am I going to make them stressed out? You know, anyway, it's just like, geez, there's there's obviously things you would say and you wouldn't say to your three-year-old or in I, we also had a six-year-old Olivia's three years older at the time there are obviously things you don't say to your kids for for very good loving protective reasons so imagine if it doesn't matter whether you say it or not they know what you're thinking the level of exposure <laughs> you'd feel right so that to me was like i gotta get my shit together um, because I had proof that she was reading my mind and I wanted that to be a pleasant experience for her for, and my other daughter was showing some sort of connectedness at my openness to seeing it. Um, that was very similar. So it was like, okay, so I wanted to learn to meditate. Um, I did get some, uh, a meditation CD that sort of walked you through chakras and all this stuff was totally new to me at the time, but, um, it was really um, frustrating and unsatisfying when I was beginning because I just felt like my mind just had full run to just think everything and I felt like all I did was lie there quietly while while I was creating more to-do lists and um, overthinking a lot of things and then at some point I remember I had the guided meditation on and oh, don't worry we are going to get to the nature of thoughts it's just this is the context and I know a lot of you can relate to this um, I had the sort of inner lead to turn off the guided meditations, So that's what I did. Um, it was on some stereo thing. So I got up, I turned off the meditation and then I just got quiet and I noticed, um, a ringing in my ears and I, for some reason had the idea of going into the ringing in my ears and so that was like, that was a thought I wouldn't have normally thought. Let's go into, how do you go into? You don't do it physically, right? How do you go into some, the ringing in your ears, in your attention and your consciousness and your awareness? But I did. Um, and there, it 
that was sort of a breakthrough for me that that was and that seemed like an original thought that I wouldn't have had and no one would have told me to do and no one could have told me to do. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then I remember another breakthrough for me in terms of being a very tangible, show it to me, prove it to me, let me see it, touch it, smell it, you know, kind of a person. I, my eyes were closed and I saw colors like a psychedelic sort of experience. And I was like, and I remember noticing part of my brain observing, how am I seeing colors and my eyes are closed? How am I seeing anything with my eyes closed? And obviously I'm, I'm an imaginative creative person, but, but that was sort of a, okay, something, something else is happening here. And it was exciting. And it was sort of like, well, that's kind of cool. At, at some point, there was this further dedication to meditation, and I, I felt like I was getting really good at it. Um, so I would spend 90 minutes, <laughs> you know, um, in meditation, and it uh, just really, oh, God, it just felt so good. I mean, sometimes even like orgasmically good. I mean, it was just like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. But yet I still obviously wanted to be part of the living world. And I think that my um, the physical world and my I think my daughters and my family played a good role in that I it could have maybe gone too far um, into all of that had I not had those grounding mechanisms of, of needing to get the girls from school and, you know, make sure there's food in the fridge, <laughs> and those sorts of things. So I had that I, I like the balance that I that I had and have in my life in those ways. Um, but I remember that as I began to sort of successfully meditate by my definition, I never did a meditation retreat. I never asked someone to teach me how to meditate for whatever reason. I wanted to sort of figure it out on my own um, and make my way into these other esoteric layers of energy. Um, but I remember my thoughts um, getting more calm. I remember feeling more calm. I remember feeling less, um, just in general, just quieter in, in myself. And that was heaven. It literally, it was like heaven. And I also had this, you know, initial motivator of, Hey, I'm not thinking things. I wouldn't want my kids to know I'm thinking, <laughs> right? Um, so that was huge. And that was important for me, I believe, with my work. And what I have just begun to sort of offer to my clients in either their private sessions or in like a Q&A with the course I'm offering or something like that is that your thoughts are kind of like, they're kind of like clouds in the sky. They're like thought bubbles. Um, so the clouds in the sky, they're, they're fluffy, they're light. They're not, they're not like hitting you over the head. Um, thoughts, I think in their purest sense, um, and Metatron is now like, okay, now let me help. <laughs> okay. Thoughts are not always from your own energy field. Thoughts can be part of the collective parts can thoughts can be something that is inserted into this reality for benevolent and malevolent reasons. Thoughts can be thoughtless, <laughs> thoughts can be less seemingly what we would call less conscious, um, without necessarily purpose, and maybe even with some recklessness to them. Thoughts can be very conscious, uh, very not well thought out, but um, well positioned 
in the in the space-time collective of wanting to make a difference and wanting to have a have an upgraded outcome offered to whomever receives the thought and chooses to think the thought. So when you understand, when you appreciate that nature of thoughts as as sort of fluffy things that sort of float by, then our hope would be that you have more authority over what thoughts you actually think, what thoughts you actually grab onto as meaningful and relevant for you. Okay? So in our view, a healthy person has healthy thoughts, healthy thoughts about themselves, healthy thoughts about others, healthy defined as um, promoting the well-being of your humanness and the humanness of those around you that interact with you, not harmful to you nor harmful to another person. Um, There are definitely instances where we observe somebody's nature of thinking as extremely toxic. And that can be undone. I mean, that's probably one of the main reasons people seek out therapy um, or spirituality or meditation or mindfulness or something like that is they're trying to reorient their system of being, which includes their thoughts. Now, I'm going to step in here as Jill. I remember having thoughts related to being in danger. For example, if my husband was away traveling and I were home alone before we had kids and I'm thinking, okay, yes, we have Riley, our German shepherd, but he's not really a trained guard dog. And I'd seen, I'd seen enough, you know, scary movies to know, to be able to easily imagine all these horrible scenarios that could come out with me home alone with an untrained German shepherd (laughs) that could be taken out so easily with, you know, poison dog food or whatever. I remember being that version of Jill. And every time my husband traveled early in our marriage, um, I would not sleep well, I'd be tired the next day at work. And it was just, it wasn't a fun place to be in my Jill when Jeff was traveling, because my imagination would go off in all these places. And obviously, none of them happened to me, none of those bad things ended up coming to fruition. But I was certainly dedicating a lot of time and energy as if I was preventing something from happening by thinking about it. Um, which it doesn't work that way, (laughs) right? Um, So I just, I remember, I do have a very distinctive in that way alone before and after of the Jill when I had these, you know, kind of sort of dark cloud thoughts that I, I grabbed onto like, oh my God, yes, that's right, that could happen. And now I, I notice that even if I'm getting on a, you know, something that seems more risky, even though driving my car through my, my little hometown um, is probably more risky than getting on a plane, I think more about, oh my God, what if, what if there's an accident on the plane when I sit on the plane? Pretty much every time there's a moment of, what if, <laughs> what if, what if this is the end, you know? Um, but it feels so different now because now the way that I am as Jill, that thought, it doesn't hit me over the head. The thought is, is sort of like more maybe pragmatic. It's like, yeah, that could happen. It's very doubtful that it will happen. I don't imagine it happening. And so I don't have the anxiety that that's maybe a former Jill would have had about something like that, right? Or maybe a lot of you have different associated uh, fears or anxieties or panics about certain situations. So 
my trick with the airplane thing in a, in a more expanded version of myself is I acknowledge that there is a risk. That's, that's true. Something bad could happen. Literally the statistics, and I, I, I kind of nerded out in statistics even in, even in college, <laughs> even in graduate um, with my MBA. I love stats, <laughs> even the calculation of statistics and all those there. It's just so fun, expanded formulas that freak people out. And I'm like, yes, I can do it. Um, so the statistics of the chances, the probabilities of me getting in an, in an airplane accident crash are so low. So I, I have that moment and then I do this. Can I imagine myself and everybody else on this plane successfully walking off the plane at our destination and getting to where we need to go? And every single time for me, I'm able to grasp that scenario and go, yep, I can see that happening. And it's almost like I insert another thought that can be alongside the fear-based thought. And then I'm good. I'm really good. Um, so I've never had it put to the test where I'm in terrible turbulence <laughs> or a near crash or anything like that. So that would be something else to talk about and see, see how that goes if I live to tell about it. Right. But there's this um, sort of self-soothing, self-calming mechanism that I have related to my thoughts now that I can manage it. And now, um, and I don't know when this happened, but at some point I just decided, and oh, it was when we had kids, I bet. At some point, as I was responsible for my kids related to something bad happening if my husband are traveling or whatever, I just realized this, I need my sleep, number one, and I need to... I need to address this issue. So I need to, I need to overcome these thoughts because they're not, they're not helping me. They're making things worse. And I'll, if something bad happens, I'll just have to face it and do the best I can. Um, and you know, let it be, it, it is going to be what it is going to be and I'll do what I can. And there we go. And I think that sort of put me back in the driver's seat of my thoughts. And that way, this was even pre-activation. So, um, there now I don't even have those thoughts when my husband is traveling and he travels all the time. I don't even, I don't even, I don't lay awake at night wondering, you know, how could somebody get in the house? Um, but I used to. So we do have a lot of authority over our thoughts and our system of thoughts and what we sort of put our name on. Um, and I, I sense that there's a lot of, uh, uh confusion about, thoughts that you have, like if you have a, a bad thought about someone or a bad thought about yourself that, that you're responsible for the thought. Um, I mean, it's not great to have unproductive or unhealthy thoughts about yourself or another person, but you don't have to necessarily assign too much meaning to them if you're not actually acting on them. They can just be random. Okay. For those of you that have random, unhealthy or just unhelpful thoughts, I do like the idea that you feel more authority and empowerment within yourself of it's so what you had a thought it didn't mean you have to do anything with it um it's great when you do have a system where you don't have to constantly manage your thoughts because the system is flowing more freely and this will bring me into the next part of this conversation in a second um, but one of the ways that you get there is deciding which thoughts you will act upon and which thoughts you do feel sort of ownership for of yes, you have the option. And I think this is definitely what I did, even though I didn't know I was doing it, where I sort of became a curator of a system of Jill 
that allowed for a, a series of, of thoughts and and topics that that I like and that make me or assist me in being a, a version of Jill that I like best and that I feel works best in this world by my own standards. Um, it's great to be able to sit for an hour with no one, just yourself, and feel at home in yourself with your with your thoughts being conducive to liking your time alone and liking silence, right? That there that there is silence, not this constant chattering and that sort of thing. Um, so there's a, a whole bunch of kind of components to that. One is that when I'm sitting in silence, I'm not trying to do a job of meditating anymore. I'm I'm enjoying the process of me being Jill and I'm feeling ownership for what I am as Jill, right? So I'm not in silence to try to get a message. I'm not in silence to try to, you know, hear from my team. Um, and I think that sometimes that approach actually leads to a level of spiritual anxiety that is really unnecessary. Um, if you recognized how sovereign you are, and that what we sometimes call our spiritual support teams or our guides or our eternal self or what I'm starting to now think of as our infinite self, they're, they're not barking orders at you. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a game show <laughs> where they're trying to get you to do something. Um, there's a serenity to it that they're honoring you in your life and the the wide range of decisions and choices you make on an everyday basis. And I definitely believe, and I'm, I'm very passionate about this, the notion of free will, because to me, it ties so directly to our concept of being sovereign, not that you can control your life and not that you can control what happens to you in this life, but that you have some degree of control over who and what you are and how the world responds to you, you can't control but you can control how you respond to how this world responds to you. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm getting a bit Dr. Seuss-ish there. <laughs> so for anyone here that, that is intrigued by this, by this idea that you have more authority over your thoughts and maybe you thought you did, which of your thoughts and thinking time is possibly used to your detriment? Um, maybe it is anxieties, maybe it is uh, a panic disorder, even about a certain thing. Um, what if those thoughts are just thoughts? What if they don't need to take you over like they may have been, right? So similar to my example of the sitting on the plane and recognizing that, that there could be a plane crash and there would probably be nothing I could do about it, right? Um, to some people, that's the, that's the beginning of a, <laughs> of a downward spiral of a panic anxiety. Um, or a panic attack, but in another version of you that you'd create, right? It could be that that thought isn't scary, that you develop a sense of maybe maturity with the risk in this world that yes, that could happen, and that you're an adult, right? You're a savvy, uh, mature adult um, functioning and maybe wanting to be even higher functioning individual that wants to have more say in how you respond to the thoughts that you think. Okay. So then you're not at the mercy of what you're thinking. And maybe you're not even so much then at the at the mercy of the situation that 
that you have a, a true or sense of I've got this and I'll do what I can, but there's some of it I can't control. It's silly to pretend I can control all of that. So let's just be honest with ourselves about the risks that are there. I'll figure it out. Maybe that, you know, corner case, worst case scenario will never happen. It hasn't happened so far. Um, and if it does, it does. And that, that's life, <laughs> right? There's, this is an unsafe reality, right? And I, I do notice in my, in my uh, client work that there, for a lot of people that have some degree of anxiety or, or panic uh, likelihood in their even daily experience, that there is a, a fearful sort of inner child version that I, I see within their second chakra that sort of is sort of like hiding behind the mom's dress, like it's not safe here yet. So we're trying to wait till it's safe. And what I like to offer them based on the advice and leadership of their team is it's not safe here. Come out from behind the, your mom, you know, the dress skirt and acknowledge that life is not, earth is not safe. Earth is filled with risks and that pretending that it's going to get safe is not, to me, it's dishonest. It's, it's not smart. Um, and I don't think it's working, right? So then when you treat, when you just like you would a child that, that's, you know, facing a risk or something, you maybe sit, depending on their age, you maybe sit there on, sit them on your lap and you say, okay, now, you know, this is, this is what happens if you run in the street, right? This is why we do this to try and prevent it and um, try and stay safe. But accidents happen. And sometimes accidents cause pain and death and all those things. Um, I remember with my daughters, and this was post my activation, when they weren't quite grasping the danger of, you know, the road, and we lived on a, a cul-de-sac. So I think they were definitely not, not appreciating because we didn't get that much traffic on our street when they were running across to their best friends at the neighbors across the street. We were driving on the road and I saw a dead squirrel. It had been dead a while. And I, I think if I remember right, I talked about it because I knew that they saw it or I pulled over and I said, okay, though, what happened? And like it ran on the road. I'm like, I know that's so sad. Um, I'm glad it's not in pain anymore. And I'm sad that it's not with us in its bodysuit anymore. And I'm so sad that happened. And that can happen to anything that runs in the street and makes contact with something that can squish it, right? So, so some people may be going like, oh my God, you did that to your kids? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Because I acknowledge the risks and pretending that all these drivers are gonna watch out for my kids is not, to me, that's not realistic and doesn't seem smart. So giving, empowering my kids to be more aware of why I'm saying, did you look before you went over to the, your friends across the street? So yes, I did do that. <laughs> my, I've got great kids. <laughs> so <laughs> if I did harm on them, I, they seem to have recovered from it. But I think it was, I think it was the right thing to do at the time. Maybe it was a little extreme. I don't think so. They weren't crying or anything. They were just very, they were very sobered <laughs> by the acknowledgement. And it was, it, and I think they still look across when they walk across the street. I've even seen actually even my 17 year old grab somebody's hand that she's with because they're not looking. <laughs> so she's looking for both of them as we look both ways or she and I in London, if I'm excited about where we're going and you know, the, the, uh, the people are driving on the opposite side. So where you, which way you look <laughs> as an American is a little bit off. And I remember her hanging on to my shoulder or my arm. So who knows the effect that it had and they're smart kids. But anyway, so that sense of 
being able to create another version of yourself that maybe is less anxious, maybe is more peaceful, and that there there is an opportunity for an after if you're if you imagine yourself in this before camp, um, and that there's no one right way to do that. And I would encourage everyone to really experiment and explore what your thoughts mean to you. And are you putting too much emphasis on the thoughts that you're thinking versus them just being thoughts? Um, and another metaphor that I like to use related to that, and I do this in client work, is client work, excuse, excuse me, is if you're going to um, in your kitchen to make lunch or something, it's not like you should have, <laughs> you know, the, the spinach salad with the warm cheese, you know, vinaigrette or whatever. It's, it's you have ideas. Those are thoughts. The thoughts are just ideas. It's not compelling you to do something. It probably doesn't create anxiety, right? That's just possibility. It's just lunch. <laughs> okay. Low risk environment, hopefully, right? Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I could have that. I could have that. I could go out. I could eat in. Um, I maybe I'm satisfied with just, you know, a, a smoothie today. Um, and maybe half of what I normally make, maybe I'm really hungry, because I didn't eat breakfast. And I had a light dinner last night. There's just there's so many sort of like possibilities there. And then you get to decide how you respond to them. I like the idea that your thoughts of what you do with your life and how you handle challenges are just as light and fluffy, and filled with possibilities and not um, so much, you know, judgment. And um, I, I love the sense of a value system and, and what you decide is is better or worse for you and right and wrong for you, etc. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not opposed to being judgy about what you do and who, who you decide you are in your life and every day. Um, I think it's good to be actually judgy in that way, to be very opinionated and accountable for who and what you are in your life. But having this sort of uh, space between those are your thoughts and then there's you and the actions that you actually take, right? Can you imagine if we lived in a world where we were accountable for our thoughts that's the making. There's probably some sci-fi movies based on that. That sounds like a, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it really does. Um, because then you're the, and this does happen actually, though, I know in, in sort of new age communities that they feel that they're, they've decided, I think, to pretend that their thoughts create. And the outcome of that that I witness is that they become like the police officers of their thoughts. Like, oh, no, no, we can't think that. Oh, no, I thought it. Oh, no. I just thought that I might get in a plane in a plane crash. So dang it, I may have created it. Oh, God, I kind of hope I'm wrong that thoughts create because I may have just killed us all, right? It's just this really altered state of reality and consciousness that I don't think is and not only is it not true, I think it's really harmful. Um, and the idea that you have to police your thoughts, I think is just so restrictive and repressive. And then you're really screwed. If you do have this sort of undercurrent of maybe unhelp unhelpful or unhealthy thoughts about you or others, that would be, that would really be hard, <laughs> right? Um, they're just thoughts. They're just thoughts. And you can take them seriously, or you can talk yourself out of them. Or you can just let them just float right on by, <laughs> right? And just let it go. 
Ah, <laughs> okay. So what else would we want to talk about related to thoughts? It feels like there's more here we want to tee up. The more you curate the thoughts that support you in being a version of you that you like best, the more you sort of develop a system of more thoughts that help you be you, right? And you have more discernment about which thoughts you don't act upon. And the thoughts that you don't act upon that don't get a charge out of you, they actually start to diminish, like I said. So so in the example of me not having anxiety when my um, or any fear based thoughts at all, when my husband travels now, those thoughts just went away, because they stopped getting they stopped having a charge for me. Um, and now they're just not there. <laughs> so it's it's kind of cool that I can remember that before and now really be delighted in this after that I get great rest, just as much rest when either whether my husband is in town, or not in town. That's, that's a really big upgrade from me. And I don't know if I would have believed you had you told me that, you know, 20 years ago that that was even possible. But I'm so happy that that it is my my reality. Now, we do encourage you to feel more ownership for what you act on, including the the carry on thoughts that then you create related to the the seeds of thought that that first start at sort of a chain reaction, whether that's positive or negative, or, you know, excitement about something, and then you start to take action about something that you want to do if it's planning a trip and, and seeing if it can happen. And okay, I think it's going to happen and you book airline tickets and that sort of thing. Or that's the seed of, Oh, my God, this horrible thing could happen. But do is it likely to happen? Hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe. You know, is this a healthy relationship for me? Um, is somebody that I interact with or rely on for, you know, maybe a business partner or a romantic partner? Is that somebody are they really? Are they? Are they what I hope they would be? Or is it not going the way my, uh, my positive expectations were at the beginning? Do I want to reevaluate my role in that relationship or my commitment to that relationship? Um, there's just this freedom of, of thought there where you don't feel compelled to think a certain way, or to think certain thoughts. Um, okay. Yeah, this is a, I can feel I can feel actually the Oh, my God, <laughs> sort of like this really takes the lid off the pot. Um, for I, I sense it for I can feel it for a lot of you that this is very uh, this is this could be a big adjustment. And I hope a big upgrade for you. But it it if it's if this is like, Oh, my God, I, if she's saying what I think she's saying, then I'm gonna have to take more responsibility in my life. I, I think that would be a, a good step, but it may freak you out a bit. So for anyone that has had a system of really, really controlling your thoughts, trying to police your thoughts, trying to act as if your thoughts created your reality, this please give yourself a bit of an adjustment period. Um, part of you may feel a bit unsettled, and maybe even in shock at the possibility. So I want you to trust you and take take any steps that you feel led to at your own pace, that feels comfortable to you. Some are more aggressive with change and some are more um, 
uh, slow with change and I trust you with you. I hope that you trust you with you more. Um, and I love to assist and support with that because it, it does feel good to feel confident in yourself in your life. Um, and yeah, going full circle here now when I think of what my daughter's would be picking up on if they still have that telepathic, telepathic ability. I, I don't think I would. Is there anything that I'm thinking that I, that I would not want them to know I'm thinking? Not really. That doesn't mean that I'm perfect in my thoughts. That means that I'm honest with myself enough with my thoughts and that I do like what I think for the most part. Um, that I would be, if anything, I would maybe love it that if they could still read my mind and how excited I am about who they are as, as humans and their future and maybe concerns I have about different aspects of maybe some of their current choices. Maybe they can hear me think it <laughs> better than they can hear me say it if I'm in a, you know, a, a preachy mode of being a mother, which I just don't find works well for anybody anyway. The other thing Related to this, I had a conversation with somebody that's that's not into this kind of thing, and they were commenting that they recognize they have this pattern where people are very intimidated by them, um, and they were bothered by this. And their statement was, well, it's not like I'm saying what I'm thinking, so why would these people around me in my life be intimidated by me if they don't, if I'm not saying things that should be intimidating. And what I said to them is, you're acting as if they can't sense what you're thinking. You're acting as if what you're thinking, the thoughts that you have don't matter. And that the only thing that they're, they're picking up on with you is what you're actually saying. And that's just not true. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Even in a, even in a sort of non-woke or unawakened sort of community, that's, that's not true. Um, even people that don't meditate, even people that don't engage in a conversation like this and an experience like this are, can be quite savvy, especially if they're, if it, it's a very, so someone's ability, untrained ability to pick up on somebody's thoughts in addition to what they actually say and do is heightened by their by the importance of that relationship um, maybe a life partner a child a parent a boss um, a professor you know something like that where that what that person is thinking affects them <laughs> dramatically then they're going to be more kind of like the feelers out of okay any any change in the barometric pressure here that I need that I need to worry about and with this one individual they're not that was I was having this this uh, conversation with they're not very wordy anyway so I, I said to that person I said in your situation people are probably more um, uh, trying to tune in to what you're not saying because you say so little. And I could just see their sort of light bulbs going on and not wanting to believe me, <laughs> probably in terms of like, well, sh shit, <laughs> right? If I'm, if they're picking up on what I'm thinking and I know that what I'm thinking is intimidating and maybe not so flattering about them, then, then, then what do I do, <laughs> right? Not saying it isn't, isn't fixing it. So 
hopefully they'll watch this, <laughs> right? And go, and go, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and have a whole new perspective on what your thoughts are and that you can take more authority over the thoughts that you think because they do affect who you are. The thoughts are just thoughts. Then you give energy to them as you think the thoughts. That's probably a really... <laughs> it couldn't probably couldn't be less scientific in how I just said that, but it is my best description of it. Um, but could I do better? The thoughts are just possibilities. They, they are just like clouds floating through. And you can be more clear on the thoughts that assist you in your life versus the thoughts that actually diminish your quality of life or make you a less um, happy person or maybe a less um, compatible person with other healthy individuals, right? Um, this is one of the reasons why for those that are having a problem or a challenge with something, I, I think you should limit or consider limiting your, your uh, engagement with others that are involved in the same problem because it'll just keep adding this fuel to the fire of the, of the problem in your thoughts. I definitely experienced that when I was diagnosed with Graves' disease when I was 27 years old. Um, I wanted to know more. And I was like, Graves' disease, what the, what's that? <laughs> right? And I didn't know anything. So I learned and then I found these online communities. And that was, I don't think Facebook was around then in 1997. Um, but there were these, you know, those, remember those groups that were like all these weird threads and and, and anyway, there's still websites that are kind of that look that have that look and feel. But I just remember at some point going, wow, there's some people in here that are still sick five years later. And that's so sad. Um, and I don't want that to be my outcome. Um, so I got what I needed. And then I didn't really hang out there that long. Um, and I do feel like I don't define myself by my Graves' disease, but had I been somebody that took a lot of comfort and um, found solace and a sense of community in a Graves' disease support group, it probably would really identify me. But I don't want it to identify me, right? And I do feel like I have a choice in that matter. I do have, you don't get rid of Graves' disease, you just you know, figure it out, how you're going to manage it in your life and be as healthy as possible and all those things. Um, so I made my choices and I, I, I like my me. I'm high functioning and able to do mostly what I want to do, but I, that's my choice. So for some people, you know, they, they're okay identifying as somebody with Graves' disease and they want to be in a community and alongside others that also identify themselves as having Graves' disease. It's not that I don't have it. It's just that it it's not a, it's not even in the top 20 of how I would explain who and what I am and what I'm like as Jill or what I experience in this reality. Does that make sense? So you have a choice in that. You have a choice in how you identify who and what you are. And it's not about denying your reality. It's about where you place those factors in your sense of self. Yeah. So some communities that, that, look like they're trying to help you. I think in some cases, they I don't think they do. <laughs> I think they make things worse. And they overemphasize a factor that then becomes this huge part. And it doesn't have to be but I think in those communities, they're 
not going to point out that you have a choice in, in where you rank order that thing that you experience in, in your sense of self and the importance it plays in your life, right? Yeah. And, you know, we're in a time, we're in a season of humanity where there's this whole um, upswell and up, upsurge of identifying ourselves based on our challenges and our our flaws and um, what were, you know, diagnoses and diagnosis, you know, just going off the charts and those sorts of things. So I, I like the idea that we can choose what that means or doesn't mean in terms of who how you know yourself and how you live your life on an everyday basis, right? Yeah, interesting. Anyway, possibilities. <laughs> okay, so do I recommend meditation? I, I think it was instrumental for me um, in me sort of uh, clarifying my thoughts and creating a sense of inner peace and feeling more space between myself and my consciousness, what I know is my consciousness, with my, the thoughts that I think as Jill. Um, so for me, it was good. I don't meditate regularly anymore. Um, I love quiet time and I love a space, but it's not a practice for me. And I have no judgment whether it is or isn't for someone else. I just love it when people find something that works. Um, and I'm glad I didn't give up because I didn't think I was somebody that could meditate. Um, so now when I meet somebody that says, oh yeah, I tried it. I can't do it. I, I almost want to go, oh, me too. <laughs> I was, I remember I, I knew myself in that way too, and I'm glad I did it. So maybe the people that say that they can't meditate would probably benefit the most, maybe from <laughs> meditation, um, and find your own way of doing it. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Okay. Let me open it up, uh, to the chat room. If you guys have anything that you want to add, um, or ask or offer, uh, related to this conversation or others. And then um, while the group that's here live may be um, wanting to do that, I'll just mention some um, news bulletins here. Um, we still have spots for the Greece trip. Um, it's coming up quick. I, I think we're just like 60 days away from the Greece trip and the Oracle and Delphi and ah, <laughs> so much more. I can't wait for that trip. I've been to Greece once before. It was in 1999 with my husband. And there were there Greece is a it's a it's a complex energy system. It's not so easy to get everywhere. There's so many islands and sections. But I remember after we were after we got back from Greece, I saw pictures of northern Greece and Meteora, um, and Mount Olympus. And now with how I know myself as Jill, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I so want to go there. So when I was putting together the Greece trip and looking at some of the kind of pre-packaged tours that that were offered that I could just kind of plug into. Um, or that other spiritual teachers were doing too, I realized that most of them were staying more in the southern part towards Athens and uh, Santorini and uh, um, Mykonos and those sorts of places. And I was like, oh, I really want to go to Patmos, <laughs> which I'm still not going to this time because it's so far um, to the east and it just didn't happen. It's not easy to get to Patmos. <laughs> Maybe another time. Um, but we are going to Meteora to the north and some of these other places that Mount Olympus just feels so important uh, for us to get to and some of these hidden places that even the guides that were that I'm interacting with um, the the travel guides and um, 
sort of tour managers that I've hired, they don't even know some of these places that we're going to. And it's like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, oh, you don't know? Like, oh, I can't wait to show it to you um, based on the, the research that I was led to do and where we're going. So this is going to be a fabulous Greece trip. I think unlike even when I talk to people that have also done sort of sacred travel to Greece, they're like, oh, I didn't go to Meteor. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I love to offer something different. Um, and something unique. And I love what we do when we travel together. And to me, it's always a good sign that there is a group of people that when we travel places, then they say, okay, Jill, where are we going next? So there is a, a group of people that, that keeps joining me on these trips. And it's such an honor. And I feel so blessed um, to get to continuously hang out with, with this. You guys are just amazing. <laughs> All of you are. I'm, I'm so blessed. Oh, good. Okay. Hi, Tom. He's saying, I love these thoughts about thoughts, Jill. Right on. I do hope um, your cough gets better soon. I hope it isn't chemtrail related. Oh, yeah, me too. There's the thought. I don't want to think because <laughs> I can't do anything about it. But yeah, <laughs> good point, Tom. You never know. <clears throat> and I love your way with words, brother. You and I have talked about the, that before. You're beautiful with your words. I love these thoughts about thoughts, Jill. That's very poetic and witty. <laughs> Okay. Hi, Suzanne. She's saying, bless you, Jill, for this message. An important reminder about meditation and all its gifts for us in any way that works. As well, the discussion about telepathy, your experience with your daughters and feelings about this. There is a lot to that to delve into another time. I agree with Tom as well. Oh, thank you. Hmm. <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, Type quickly <laughs> for anyone else that has anything that you want to add. Otherwise, it feels like we're wrapping up. The other announcement I wanted to um, offer here is that those that are in the membership group, I, after taking the last, you know, two weeks off and having time in the call at our vacation place, and it's, I just... I love it up there. I love life and I, I love McCall. <laughs> and it was yesterday, I all of a sudden felt super like motivated and energized and inspired for like, oh my gosh, we could do this and things I've thought about before, but I've never actually, I've thought the thoughts, <laughs> but not taken action on them. So I took the steps to actually offer um, to our members um, something completely new. We normally have the monthly members um, message and that's happening on August 8th. Let's see if I have the dates right. Yes. And then I, I mean, I've sort of poo pooed this idea of ask me anything sorts of things, because sometimes the questions in a general audience are so random and so not things I want to talk about, not things I'm interested in. And I, I just don't like to, that's not how I orient my podcasts is, is based on people's questions. Um, it's just not my preference. But <laughs> the ask me anything option in the members group, I'm very motivated by. Um, because I love I love the Q&A time that happens, um, whether it's a, a bonus Q&A call for a course that we've done, or the Q&A after a monthly message, or the Q&A sometimes here, it just, it adds this whole other dimension that I wouldn't have thought of. And I love that collaboration with you guys. So I am offering the ask me anything. Uh, to the members to the members group on Monday, August 5th. So that's just uh, less than a week away. So I'm excited about that. And then um, another thing I am led to do is offer what I'm calling the practitioners group coaching. Um, there are, it's obvious to me that there's a lot of folks that that we hang out with here, <laughs> and in the members group that are also practitioners, whether they are 
telesummit hosts, telesummit speakers, um, healers, intuitives, whether they do those things officially or unofficially in their lives, I, I love to talk shop. <laughs> whether it's the mechanics of running a business, which, which I like, um, the challenge of it and, you know, problem solving and, okay, how can we fix this in an, in an, uh, financially feasible way, you know, minimum investment. And I've definitely, uh, you know, made my share of miss, I would call that, I would call them mistakes. I mean, there's two websites I remember paying for that were, you know, 2000, I think one was even $4,000 that I never even, never even released. I never even used the website that I paid for someone to build for me. It just, I was like, this is not me. <laughs> so I've done those things. And I remember feeling like, oh, the website had to be so, you know, professional, those things. And, and most of my interaction with, with potential clients and clients wasn't even on, wasn't even from the website. It was from the YouTube. So there's just a lot of, um, I want to say lessons I've learned and realizations I've come to about what matters and what doesn't matter. And I love to pass that knowledge along. And also just literally the, the, um, I do have in my, in the private session work questions about, you know, what about this relationship or what about this business partnership or what about this client that's facing this, this, and this, and what are you getting? And sort of like, sort of like a second opinion. So that format feels really, really exciting to do that. And I love to offer my connection with those that are also connected and offering another perspective for your client work. So I'm excited about these possibilities. So that one on the calendar is August 21. And I'm excited for what happens there and what we do and what we create there together. Love your comment. Oh, Tom is saying, love your comment too, Suzanne. It would be so cool to be able to have a telepathic conversation with loved ones, as long as it's mutually voluntary, right? And we often do get close to that if we're in sync with each other. Yeah, that's true. Um, hi, Heather. She's saying, thank you, Jill. And totally agree with not over-identifying with a diagnosis, disease. Otherwise, it becomes a strong attachment, part of your identity and not necessarily healthy. Yeah, I agree. Um, Connie. Hello, Connie. She's saying the Q&A are simply the best. <laughs> Great fun to be together today. Oh, I'm so glad you're here, Connie. And thanks for your um, input there. It's great to have you in those Q&As. Uh, Suzanne is saying yes, Tom, to what you expressed. I am with you and what you shared too, Heather, and agree with Connie, of course. Oh, nice. What a complimentary group we have here. <laughs> okay, that feels like a wrap, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. I, I hope you found something useful and helpful in this. Um, I love to try and come at things from a new angle and I hope it's actionable for you and that, it, or at least it gives you something else to think about in terms of who you are and what you are in this life and that you feel hopefully excited about maybe some upgrades that you want to make and try out for you. Okay. All right. <laughs> I love you. Bye-bye for now. Mwah.